This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. of time season one is over but we are just getting started here talking about the season finale of amazon prime's the wheel of time here on post show recaps hello everybody i am josh wiggler walking into the eye of the world alongside my warder and friend the legendary rich filiberto aka dm philly on these mean internet streets philly don't touch the blight what did i tell you I had to take a nap. I got no. a little tired, Josh. I got a little tired. I did yeah. have a blight mare. It's kind of scary. Don't what do you do with that it. knife? Put that knife you, away. Put it away. I told you not to touch the blight. <laughs> what are you doing? I loved that. You know Fensler Films, the G.I. Joe parodies from Once Upon a Time, Rich? Did oh you ever encounter those? Oh, my God. I do not, and I am a G.I. Joe disciple. As you know well, Josh, one of our first interactions was me hassling you uh, for weeks about which G.I. Joe was sitting on your, your bookshelf mm-hmm. behind you back in the days when yes. you used to podcast on Rob as a podcast all the time. Uh, I love G.I. Joe's. I don't know it. I'm not Check familiar. it out because you're okay. in for a lot of hard laughs. Uh, okay. But I was reminded of one of them where they basically they re cut the gi joe psa's rich uh and present them in extraordinarily ridiculous comical ways and one is a bunch of kids who are skating on a pond a frozen pond and one kid falls into the frozen pond and snow job shows up to tell them to get that kid off my ice uh because he's so (laughs) mad 
And he says, all right, give them the stick. Don't give them the stick. And that is the vibe that I got from the blights here in the finale of like, all right, touch the blight. Don't touch the blights. You know, it felt like, uh, what are we supposed to be doing here, Moraine? Do we not touch the blights or do we take naps on blights? Anyway, right. this is what people were waiting for was this uh, opening act of our finale coverage rich of making uh making gi joe comparisons to the blights because of course this is the biggest headline that we have at Ab our disposal here absolutely feels like a buried lead out there in the conversation that's happening on the internet mm -hmm. not enough uh gi joe to wheel of time <laughs> yeah metaphors similes analogies like yeah. floating around on the internet so we're yeah. here for that at least that's why we are being uh you know i was gonna say being paid the big bucks this is you know not really but no, we are no. here to to talk about the wheel of time and yeah. at least uh give you something uh, that is of value uh in terms of your wheel of time discourse uh a great name for a podcast about the wheel of time i think rich would be what's up what's you know? up how yeah. is that not out there already i so listen if you to want to just write that down that's content. big box <laughs> yeah i'm going to lock that one in so we're here to tell you what's up here on the wheel of time post show recaps podcast as we are recapping the eye of the world eight episodes now in the books rich how are we feeling? It's the end of the season. It's not the end of the Wheel of Time podcast, but it's our first pass at the season finale. We'll have book club coming up later this week. Rich will be back with some book club coverage. We're going to do a wrap-up show later in the week as well. This is just first thoughts. Getting first thoughts down on, I was going to say paper, but that's not the medium. Nope, I've got my thoughts on paper uh, because I'm old school and anachronistic and we're going to transform them from paper to the audio medium. Yes. Uh, my first thoughts, I've spent the last few months here with you talking about the Wheel of Time. I have a lot of good, loving, wonderful, affectionate things to say. I think I'm going to come in a little hard, Josh. I think that this one uh, left me wanting a little bit. Okay. I don't want to pick too many nits, but just like set expectations for anybody out they're wondering what I'm thinking. I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little underwhelmed. I think far and away, easily uh, my least favorite episode of the really? season. Really? The so, finale was last place for you? Unquestionably. Oh, wow. Unquestionably. Unquestionably. And oh, I'm man. not going to come in that hard. I've watched it a couple times here. Uh, my, my frustrations have softened. But I have a few. And I'm going to pick some nits. And I'm going to go in hard, I think. Uh, just talk about uh my frustrations fair about enough. this episode yeah uh fair enough i uh i definitely don't think this is my least favorite episode of the season um Ooh. i think my least favorite episode of the season is still the first episode of the whole show uh, yep fair that's I fair. think like and that one i would say like decisively was my least favorite but i think that what that first episode may have done for me uh is set some expectations for me in terms of pace that mm -hmm. this show's going to move things quickly like things are going to happen really fast on the wheel of time and you're not going to get a lot of times to to breathe um you know i am somebody who has read the eye of the world book one rich you have read the full series twice now yep. i have not gone past that first book so i have some you know um of understanding of the world and the characters as initially written by Robert Jordan, but it's really, really thin. And certainly a lot of the stuff that they are very clearly either adding entirely or bringing in really early. I've got no idea what the hell is going on. Like flying cars, what? You know, like I have a lot of questions about a lot of things. I have no idea what that post credit scene is or that final epilogue scene, at least, uh, what that's all about. 
so I'm very mystified. And in that regard, I find myself in the show only position by and large. Um, so I don't know what I would have felt um, if I was just a pure show only person. Would I have felt that the season felt really, really, really fast? that there wasn't a lot of time to stop down and spend time with characters and really understand motivations and get to grow with their relationships. Because I do think that that is a thing this season uh, really yada yada through in, yep. in ways that were, were challenging for me at times, but maybe a little less so because I felt like I had some stake in the characters. With all of that said, the finale feels really fast as well. But for me, it does not feel that much faster than the rest of the season. So even if there is a little bit of a rushed pace to the finale, I felt almost inoculated to that by the time that I got to the finale. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed the finale for the most part. As somebody who is not somebody who is deeply rooted in the source material, it was about of a quality level that was consistent with the rest of the season for me. Um. Well... That's good. I'm happy that because I've been very curious to hear what you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I watched it, uh, you know, Thursday night, we get that release at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, with our Amazon drops. And and right after the episode, I know a bunch of us watched it like the second that it aired. Sure. Uh, and, and a few of uh, my book club compatriots and I got together and started talking. And there was a lot of frustration in the room, Josh. I was like, I highest maybe amongst it. Um, so I was nervous. This is and the I think, double-edged sword. The double-edged Heron sure. marked blade Rich, sure. is to is to be somebody who is really invested in a thing that that uh, has has uh, engaged with the thing before it has become the shiny new thing. Mm -hmm. And then the shiny new thing often becomes prickly in some regards and not throughout the whole experience. But when the thorns show up, you cannot help but touch every single one of them. I've mm -hmm. been in this spot many, many times with Game oh, of Thrones, with Walking Dead. Uh, and so I'm, I am free of that for the wheel of time for the most part, but I can imagine that that's, you know, cause a lot of the discourse that I've been seeing around this episode seems to be a lot of, uh, book readers did not love this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head, right? This is no like great revelation, but when you love a thing this much, it can hurt, right? The things that we care about are the things that like make us vulnerable. The things that like we're invested in are the things that can like disappoint us and break our hearts. Right. Um, so I, I, again, I don't mean to like get new, too negative here, but the reality is, um, I was watching all these episodes that I've been watching over the past couple of months. My first like instincts, my first concerns are about like, God, how is this going to read for somebody that doesn't have all the depth that I do? How is this going to like play for new viewers that are showing right. up here? Cause I want people to like fall in love with the story the way I did. Right. And uh, go back and dig into the books and, and really like embrace this story that I think has like filled up so many parts of my life in the last few years. Right. And that to me was like a big, point of consternation for me over the course of the hour was like god i don't know how without like my background and knowledge and like depth of information and obsessive compulsive meticulous kind of data mining of these books um how does this play and it's been really divided you know um i, I think that like the discourse i've seen in the couple of days since the episode aired is split like right down the middle and it doesn't seem uh universally split between like new viewers and book book lovers right 
I'm seeing a lot of book lovers who are really here for the like, look, it's an adaptation. Um, if you've been paying attention to a lot of what Rafe has said in press over the course of the season, his mandate is that he's adapting the wheel of time, not the eye of the world book one, but the entirety of the series. And he's trying to like carry forth the big themes, the big ideas, the important like sweeping notions about these characters that are going to play out at the end of 14 books worth of story here. Um, so a lot has to be given away in the midst of that. Like I've been so cool with a lot of the changes that have occurred over the course of the season. I say it again and again on these podcasts, but the overwhelming majority of scenes of dialogue that we're getting in the show are not from the books. They are doing a lot of like, they're creating original dialogue. They're creating original scenes that honor the characters, I think pretty authentically. Um, but they're not using like Robert Jordan's words in a lot of the times. And I've been cool with it because I think that like, I I've been, um, like they've have my trust. Right. And I, I've been like going along with it. And I just feel like this episode, there was a lot of like unearned choices. I think they contradicted themselves in ways that I didn't love. And I ended up feeling like looking back a lot of the stuff that like didn't bother me over the last couple of weeks. Like now I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't yeah, know how sure. good I feel about those choices anymore. Right. It's like this kind of retroactive frustration that I'm feeling. Yeah. One of the things that, that that might be worrying too in for someone in your position is that, um, you know, the second season of the show, it was greenlit and production has already begun. Oh, and yeah. all of that is going on before the world uh, at large, not the eye of it, gets to lay eyes on Wheel of Time season one. So mm -hmm. any of that sort of... Um, any of that sort of, you know, there's a fine line between uh, taking in feedback and then letting the audience change what you're doing. Oh, yeah. um, but the, but feedback is important and you want to, you know, know is are the things that I'm doing, are they connecting? And if they're not connecting, why? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that is where there is a lot of value for a sort of longer off season between the end of production on a thing and the beginning of production on on the next season. It seems like none of that exists. So I do I do wonder, you know, how much season two will will change from a pace perspective. Um, you know, I'm I'm not terribly hopeful that the pace, you know, slows right. down. Yeah, uh, this was you know, I uh, I got an alert on on Reddit. Reddit just seems to know what I'm interested in. So it will always spike something my way, even if I'm not subscribed to the subreddit. And I got pinged with a Wheel of Time subreddit alert that was like, OK, well, now that the Wheel of Time season one is done, how would you compare this to another epic fantasies uh, adaptations season one in Game of Thrones? So it was them making the comparison it wasn't me this time. Yep. Uh, and uh, a lot of the messages that I was reading over and over again was if you had to stack the two of them side by side, it's Game of Thrones season one with a bullet because it gave it gives a lot of room to breathe. Like people it actually sure have rooms to breathe, room to breathe and rooms to room to interact with each other. And I definitely felt that in 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 season one of Wheel of Time. I just didn't feel it any more this week than I felt throughout the whole thing is 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 my yeah. experience with it. I think that's super fair. And I think that when you mark them up side by side, Game of Thrones season one is like very, very good television, right? There's a reason that show popped off the way that it didn't hit the zeitgeist the way that it did, especially for a genre show, right? Which like at the time, 10 years ago, fantasy is not, was not what it is today in the mainstream, right? But those extra two episodes go a long way. I think consistently you're seeing people saying like they needed more time. They needed more time. And I think more time would have gone a long way. Now, like what they needed and what they actually had – 
are two different things, right? We can like uh, wish and dream and hope all we want, but the, but they had eight episodes to do this. And I just want to like couch by statements with like, I think there's a lot of gems in here. There was a lot of little stuff in this like final episode that I loved. I like reckon it almost like uh, the Star Wars prequels, Star Wars like front of mind for me these days that like there's a lot of great scenes and great moments yeah but the like totality of the story told maybe is like not awesomely done right there's like some missing beats i just found it uh, i didn't hate it and i'm certainly like hype for season two dude i am like floored i'm really looking forward to it i don't want to like overstate where i'm coming from right um but i just found it a little underwhelming a little messy it felt rushed now the the production was faced with like incredible challenges the wheel of time uh the x-ray features have been thin on episode seven and eight i don't know how many other people are tracking that besides me but the one here for episode eight was a lot about the finding of the cast casting the wheel of time right and they talk about it in those features it's been part of the press for people like me that have been kind of following this whole thing ramping up but COVID hit like smack dab in the middle of this production right? yeah uh, the first like COVID lockdown came while they were they filmed sequentially right and i believe they got right up into episode six when they had to like shut production down for months and what they expected to be nine months of like principal photography and like primary production turned into a two-year ordeal right now i think that like that hurt them on seven and eight in that like they were rushing they really wanted this thing out right and and that's my other like you know a lot of people have talked about the kind of production value of VFX quality, certain like visual things, choices of the the series thus far. And I've been pretty happy with them. I've not been like too critical of any of that, but man, I felt it this episode, right? Yeah. I think there were like some, some really rough, uh, I don't want to say unfinished, but some rough VFX that we were dealing with. And, and it felt a little bit more rushed, not in the pace of the episode, but maybe in like the, the crafting of the episode. Right. See, that's so um, yeah. interesting to me because I, I was, I was, I was riveted by a lot of the visual splendor of this episode. To be completely wow. honest, that I, you know, uh, we're a little all over the map today, and I think that that's sure, fine. Yeah. I think that yeah. these are these are first reactions, so we're going to talk about the episode less in sequential order and more in totality. I think. Um, but I was maybe it was because of the content of it that I I found myself gripped by uh, the content of what I was seeing. And I've only watched the episode the one time and mm-hmm. maybe less so about the, uh, the, the nooks and crannies and the, the granular particulars of the actual craft of making the, uh, the, the effects. And as I said to Rich, I had to watch this episode on my phone. Oh, I, had to, I, I had to sneak away uh, from, uh, from the family for the holidays this weekend. Hence why the podcast, this late uh and i had to i had to find an hour so i just like stuck off with my phone to watch the episode and it still played really you know about as well for me as most of these episodes did to be totally honest and the things that sucked me in were like wait holy shit this story takes place three thousand years after flying cars this this story takes place after like a highly advanced society that's where that's where that's the world that broke and i found that to be fascinating it and that, is it and that totally blew me away and so i spent a lot of time in the immediate aftermath of that watching the credit sequence being like oh okay well this is kind of unlike anything that i've been comparing yep. the show to in game of thrones and lord of yep. the rings so now i'm on the i'm now i'm really leaning into the world in a way that maybe i wasn't before um 
I uh, then there were a couple of things that just seemed sort of visually tonally unusual, such mm-hmm. as um, the you know the dark one in quotes uh, Ishamiel as he is referred to in the X-ray features, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they call him that, and he has another name as well. It's like Ishmael. They call him the man, the, the uh, man, which is like a man. little bit of a blow up in the X-ray features, right? Yes. But yeah, you you take that for what you will out there, viewers. The man, yes, the man, the man who is played by I'm not going to pronounce his name right. I'm sure. Uh, Ferris Ferris, who yeah. uh, who is from season two of Westworld, is where I know him from. Uh, who is an actor that I've always enjoyed when I've seen him pop up in things. I just love his name very, very much. Yeah. It's a so when name. I when I saw him show up here, I was really excited because that's an actor that I care about, and so I really loved his casting as somebody in an adversarial capacity Me who sort too. of has this, you know, sort of like a comely, scary gentleman quality, and something that felt very like. Marvel comics-y, almost even maybe even New Gods-y DC comics with the way that he has this terrifying burning face that catches Uh an arrow straight in the middle of the thing and then it pops it out and morphs into this comely gentlemanly face and he's kind of wearing a suit and so it looked so strange to me and I was a really in need of some non-real world escapism in the moment that I, I took bet. that I carved the hour out to watch the episode. But also I was just so taken aback by how unusual it was in the context of a fantasy story. It just didn't look like it existed in this same world, which I thought was was uh, for me a, a choice that worked really, really well, considering so much of this story seems to be about um, the the consequences of the breaking of the world and why people are fighting so hard tooth and nail to prevent something like that from happening again. I don't know how widespread it is within the world of the Wheel of Time, what they lost, but now mm-hmm. we as an audience know. And so for that to look and feel very different from the stuff that's happening in the main line of the show, I thought was a fantastic choice that really, really worked for me. So that's kind of my take on some of the the big visuals of the episode. There's also like all the big thunderstruck type stuff that the that the that the women of Faldara and Egwene and Nynaeve stay behind and sort of the lightning storm that happens there. Uh, And I thought it was cool that you were you were kind of removed from the Trollocs army. And instead, what you were seeing was as Trollocs just kept showing up to get torched by lightning and to see the toll that it took on the people who were who were channeling that that magic i don't know rich for me i thought that all of that stuff was really exciting uh Uh, you're you're touching on a bunch of stuff that i absolutely love right so like this is probably part of why uh my expectations were were like felt a little unmet yeah man we open in that cold open and this is not the loose theron that i've ever imagined but i know immediately that it's loose there they're speaking in the old tongue which is like immediately evocative right and loose theron is that is that is the dragon who we keep hearing about yeah hearing about the dragon reborn and so the man that we see in this cold open is the person who Rand now alleges to be the the resurrected version the of reincarnation and the man the, the man as well is talking to Moraine about Rand as that guy and we're mm-hmm. hearing it multiple times Pat and Fane as well as like Rand may be the dragon but all five of you are spokes on a wheel yep. um so that that is the connection of who this loose Theron guy is 
Yeah, loose there. And uh, if you read the books, like we've talked about it a bit here on this podcast, but you open up on this prologue that has nothing to do with them in field. It is set thousands of three thousands of years ago. So, you know, when you see that three thousand years ago come across the screen in the in the cold open, there's book readers out there go wild because we think we're about to get this prologue, which is can be very jarring for first time readers. I know you as a first time reader bounced off it a couple of times, three right? times, it, because it, it like is um, a very deep deep uh, prologue that goes longer than you might expect it to. You have no context and it's really powerful. Once you're into the series, you can kind of look back on it to get a lot more context for what you're kind of um, immersing yourself in over the course of the story. But when you find it on its own in the beginning of the books, it really is a little bit jarring. So I love this. I love this whole beat. There's a lot of illusions throughout the text of the wheel of time that you kind of have to deep read, right? Um, the, the, like who is Jon Snow's parents of it all right the, the keen-eyed viewers can like take a lot out of the text right but a lot of it is very kind of obfuscated nestled and buried into the midst of other things that unless you're really paying attention you can miss it um but I said early on in those preview shows that this is like a fantasy adventure show and it's not medieval fantasy uh and I talked a little bit I joked a little bit about the world and where are we in the world so I think that now we can like safely talk about it a little bit but the world of the wheel of time is our world we're on yeah. earth we're in earth right this is uh supposed to be three thousand years ago in this story is the far future of the world that you and i live in today right right the age of legends is it called and and so they have all and, and you know it's that magnificent quote who i'll misattribute if i try to quote it right now but uh magic and technology right like any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic right and these guys are wielding the Aes Sedai are both male and female at that time we dip into that a little bit in this scene and they're wielding this magic much to the like victory of the world people are very much without want the age of legend was a time of like almost utopia right um th there was not this kind of like strife and need and disparity between peoples in a lot of ways it's this very like utopian idyllic existence you get a flying car and you get a flying yeah. car and you get a flying car yeah. Um, I want to so live long enough to get to that world. That's would be fun. very cool. Yeah. But part of like what's so rad about the wheel of time is this notion that it's a wheel and the circles repeat, right? Uh, the past of like these characters is our future and their future is their past. And like right. when ages come and pass, right? Uh, an age called the third age by some, like this time it's in our past, but it's in our future. And it's this very fun idea that ties into like the cyclical nature of the souls being reincarnated of Rand being the dragon reborn is this embodiment of this guy, Luz Theron. Exactly. Uh, once the most powerful of the Aes Sedai. And we dig into some interesting stuff in this opening scene that I loved. Absolutely. Like, this was a win for me, big time. Yeah. Uh, I thought the opening scene was really, really cool. Um, I, I loved the choice to be using the old tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought I thought it was great. I thought that that was I thought that that was really fascinating. Then you get into some stuff that I think is a little bit shaky of, you know, we joked about it at the top of the podcast, but I think it's actually kind of emblematic of some of the issues that I tend to run up against with the show is just maybe half thoughts, you know, things yep. that don't get fully baked, which is. You cannot touch the blights, Randall Thor. If you do, they, everything here is dangerous. Touch nothing. 
but let's just sit down for a mm-hmm. spell. Why don't we? Uh, you know, li- little stuff like that is is then where where it starts to lose me a little bit. But I feel like that's been happening all all season long. Um, uh, part of that is like the nature of TV sometimes, right? That like suspend your disbelief, right? Yeah. You have to like kind of buy in. But I just feel like there were a lot of calls like that this episode. There were a lot of little things that I felt like contradicted themselves and especially contradict like what uh, folks like me think we know, right? The things that we think we're supposed to understand, even the things that I think that the show has tried to teach us thus far, right? Um, it, where it's like contradicting itself. And this is the stuff where I'm like, you guys have a long way to go and it's that butterfly effect right every little change you're going to make now is going to send ripples out in front of us right so like at least like let's build some consistency now like hold yourself to your own rules you know um and yeah when you have these moments like that like the blight is like death everything here every stink every bug every leaf is here to kill you touch nothing also like while we're here nothing really bad is going to happen except for nightmares when i tell you it's okay lay down and take a nap amidst this like toxic environment yeah <laughs> but, you know um yeah uh i thought the whole nap natural. scene was really really cool though uh I, yeah you I, had a blightmare rant had a blightmare the blightmare i thought was awesome i thought that the blightmare was cool and i loved this introduction of of the man who we we've heard about ishamiel before throughout this mm-hmm. show it was uh it was dana right back at the um what was the name of that town that they that they met tom in oh uh, gosh yeah uh, four corners or something y- like that yeah uh, i believe yep. I believe she uh, she brings him up there, if I'm not mistaken, in a, a place of safety. Uh, what is the name of that place? My God. Uh, uh, Stepin yeah. talks about a couple of people that are relevant. I think his name might come up there. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, right? Like Rand has this impression of the dark one. We've seen this like flame face guy in a couple of the dreams before. Um, and he like this... swallows up the flame and has like a real, it kind of had big Mr. Negative vibe. It was cool. I thought that I, it was cool. I reminded of it. that, uh, the, the time Lord that, uh, uh, who was it? Grace who threw that our way. Grace did throw the time session. lord at us in Dungeons uh, and Dragons. Grace's famous birthday party. Uh, great, the great Grace leader uh, ran D D for us on her birthday, like an, yes. eight, an eight hour, an eight hour like uh, session that day, and um, we kicked the hell out of a time lord. Yeah, who looked kind of like the man uh, yeah. who had sort of this flaming face and sort of a suit. Uh, it, you know what? It kind of almost the 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 visual tone of the episode for me kind of felt like Game of Thrones meets Battlestar Galactica. Oh it almost had this gosh. big Vancouver vibe to yeah, it yeah, of yeah, a Vancouver-based yeah, yeah. television show yep. uh, that I thought was really really neat. I just thought I I had not seen anything quite like that. Uh, those two very distinct styles mapped onto each other. So I was, I was really taken by that, but I was really taken by sort of the, the seductive powers of Ishamiel uh, and basically saying, listen, you know, uh, she keeps telling you all these things that you're going to go nuts, that you can't have what you want, but I'm going to tell you that you can have exactly what you want. You see this, you know, the, the, this picturesque, hillside this place that you'd been dreaming of you get to go here you get to have Egwene here you get to have was joya was that the name of the of the child a little baby yeah little little baby you can have one of those uh and also yeah it's a dream but since i'm i'm have access to your brain i'll make sure that Egwene can tell can like parrot back all the stories that you need her to answer Mm -hmm. it's gonna be great it's so simple just let go 
just let go. Just it's just gonna it. feel. It's just just ride it. Just want it. It's gonna feel so good. And it's such a compelling argument. And my feeling while watching all of this stuff play out, uh, and having that juxtaposed with Moraine in reality, IRL with a knife to yep. Rand's throat, and yep. me fully believing Rich. She might do it. I don't know what the show is going to do. I don't remember her, you know, slicing Rand's throat open at the end of the Eye of the World, the book. But I don't know where we're at anymore. Uh, so I was I was riveted and I didn't know what choices were going to be made necessarily. And I think it is worth noting that having read the first book in, in the series, The Eye of the World, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before we came onto the podcast, is I guess the ending of that book is notoriously sloppy or slovenly to some extent. Because so, I remember it being confusing as hell. It's uh, very so confusing. I was very lost in the reading of the ending of the book. This at least had a lot more clarity for me. I, I could understand what was going on. It's the end of the eye of the world is amongst the most confusing endings to any of Robert Jordan's books. One of the things you discover if you read the series is Jordan is great at endings. Uh, he really like finds his footing along the way. And there's a little bit of like a meme about it with the book readers in the community that like you read through 80% of the book and then it's like, boom, everything goes off. Right. And it's like a frantic roller coaster, like screaming down with momentum that he builds. Right. If you're going to um, rank the books by ending is eye of the world at the end or pretty close uh pretty close it's on it's definitely in the lower half ranking things is arbitrary and reductive so a great wise man once told me josh so uh, i try not to rank too hard though i have ranked this episode yes, <laughs> um, yes but but the eye of the world it's like existential at the ending and especially when we don't have like the full context of the other books behind us we're just we're still under like our entry point to this world we're learning the rules we're learning the players in this game Game, right and um and i think that jordan didn't have a lot of his ideas like fully formed yet right he thinks that it's this great eternal story of these poor fantasy authors he thinks he's gonna write a trilogy you know and so um he has somewhere that i think he's going and there's a few things in the eye of the world that will never happen again in the rest of the series right there's a few like changes that he makes stepping into the great hunt book two that will carry for the next like you know 13 books to complete the series and the eye of the world is different at the end of the eye of the world it's very um these like very metaphysical existential weird things are happening that don't have like a lot of clarity we're we're bouncing around geographically where like the majority of the book is these people just like traveling to reach their destination they are split up they do end up reunited again much like we've gotten in the series but when we get to this beat at the end um in the text like it's loyal who tells them we've got to go to the eye of the world and there's right. a whole kind of thread of information of how he knows that it confirms something parent and Egwene had heard from the tinkers and moraine is like all right hell we got to go and the deal is they roll in the fall dar lord agomar is like we're under attack moraine sadai help us like right. we need the eyes to die when they like, show up to Faldar in the book war is kind of already underway. yes there is this battle happening at tarwin's gap right like that's a thing but in the text all of them go to the eye of the world right all five emmons fielders yep. with moraine with lan with loyal they meet somebody else there the eye of the world is very different um just like uh mechanically like it's, it's purpose. like a pool right yes it's a pool of liquid it's this pool of water 
and it's got a very different function than it does here. Saying that, like, in the show, this is where the Dark One is trapped uh, is a huge change, which I don't think is a big deal. It's not a bad change. That's the thing. Like, for all the changes that they're making, um, I can, like, ride with them on most of these calls, right? I'm, like, happy for them to change what the eye of the world is because the ending of the book is so kind of muddled so and strange. messy and hard to read through, right? And when we get there, uh, I love the visual depiction of it in the show. I thought it was really like evocative. It looks scary. It's deep. It's dark. Um, the seal at the bottom, we'll talk about it a little bit, but like that symbol that they're standing on, that yin-yang, right? Like we talked about this a little bit here, but like the dragon's fang is the mark that we saw on Swan's doorway back in the day. This is the black half of the yin-yang, right? right? The fang pointing down, the flame of Tarvalent, the white half, the flame like rolling up, right? And it's these two symbols that go back to that cold open. Like fundamentally what we're seeing in that cold open with Luz Theron is he's talking to the Tamerlan Sea. Yeah, I noted that the name was slightly different. Did we lose that T across time? We did. It's a we beautiful thing. We shaved that T off. It's just this really small throwaway line in the books where somebody says at one point, Luz Theron, like once you wore the ring of the Tamerlan, you gathered like the rods of commanding it. And like, it just extrapolates off that. We don't dig into it. So I love yeah. that they're like, these are good additive changes, right? But ultimately what she is telling him this is the divide between the Aes Sedai. Lucerin was like the strongest of the Aes Sedai. He's got this plan. We can go seal up the Dark One. He can, we can lock him away forever, make the world safe for my sweet baby in this crib while we're having this conversation in a nursery. And she's like, dude, you're uh, prideful and hubristic and we're out. And ultimately, like, she takes all the women and is like, no, we're not going with you. And it creates this, like, gender divide in the story, right? Um, and And so right there, you get this, like, the mark of the dragon, the mark against like the male channelers, bad channelers, the flame of Tarvalin, right? The keeper of the flame, he calls her at the very end of that open. So I love that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of gems in this episode if you're willing to like take a breath and look for them uh, to my other frustrated book readers out there. Yeah. Um, it's not all like, you know, bad, but there's just a lot of little points that frustrated me, right? Uh, I was yeah. surprised by um, the way that it played out with um, Rand then doing what Moraine had basically instructed him of like, when the time comes, you're not going to have any choice but to kind of channel and go yep. nuts. Yep. Uh, and I, I thought that the way that they, that he that you see him pouring all of his power into the Sangreal. Am I pronouncing that right? So yeah, Angreal, yeah. and then there's Sa Angreal. The Sa Angreal, yeah. Yes. So this is sort of like this chamber, right? This vessel with which to like blast super it's powerful a signal magic. amplifier, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of different kinds of Angreal, but Angreal like enhance your power, right? It's like a uh, signal, like a uh, you know uh, amplifier that's going to let you connect to the source and like push out more. Sa Angreal are like real. Really, these things tenfold, right? These like mega amplifiers, right? And then Tear Angrial have like specific uses, right? Uh, the 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 picture that Moraine travels through to meet with Swan is like a Tear Angrial. Yeah. These are like the magic items that we know in Dungeons and Dragons, right? But yeah, this thing is like signal boosting Rand to the nth degree, right? Yeah, and I I thought it was neat, and I think that the thing that that I liked the most about it was. Shamiel looks kind of happy as he's getting oh, incinerated. Yeah, he looks he thrilled does. to be getting blasted away. And this is what Moraine wanted. And Rand is doing what Moraine wanted. But is he also 
doing what Ishamiel wanted, what the Dark One wanted. So I I leave the the season with you know the, the you know the context of of the visual medium of a television show and the the acting choices and therefore the editing choices of what to leave in from the acting choices mm-hmm. of seeing Fares Fares smile his way into oblivion. It's and such a that smile too. Being yeah probably bad uh and so between that and rand now tweaking out that he's gonna go insane so he needs to be separated from everybody else and he you know he sneaks off into you know whatever future he's walking off to i have to say that the rand story for this was probably my favorite rand episode i think that this was the one where i felt the most connected to him as a character which was a very uh successful achievement on the show's part because up until now i've just been kind of thinking of him as randikin uh, yeah, and Rand is bland. Rand's you know, been bland. Yeah. He has. And so and so between this and you know the the Aiel stuff from throughout the season and now this final moment of watching him unabashedly touch the source and use that power and do tremendous things with it, but maybe dangerous things with it. And now he's alone and he's untethered. I'm very amped up to follow that story moving into season two. I'm really curious to see what that looks like in uh, in the stories ahead. And I'm especially curious because it does seem like even though he did the thing that Moraine, who is out and proudly against the Dark One, seemingly has done a thing that the Dark One feels at least fine with. Pretty okay about. Yeah. I'm so glad you got that read. First of all, just talking to you is already lightening my mood, Josh. I'm so happy that you're this happy. It's uh, You know what? My the, the very honest take is that I'm about like, you know, like a 7 out of 10 with the show. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, yeah. My, my very honest take is like I'm like somewhere in like a, a, a BB minus with the show. But yeah. that's fine and that's enjoyable and I love the themes and I love talking with you about it. And I really, uh, there's a lot of performances in here and just a lot of interesting choices that are happening along the way that I'm enjoying but structurally I've always felt throughout these eight episodes that the show has left me wanting a little yeah, bit it's um, a little bumpy yeah. of of that level I felt as as somebody with that experience I felt that the finale um was climactic with what it had previously set up okay. um, you know I and, really and I and it left that. and it left me you know definitely not leaning away going into season two it left me if anything leaning in more I will say it also left me feeling like I guess I could probably just read all the books now because it seems like uh, they're just like throwing everything in with is is sort of my my vibe, but I'm still going to hold the line. I'm going to stay pure. We are off script, right? This was one of my big uh, like hype points to you early on was like, but Josh, it's finished. It's a completed series. Yeah. They have the ending. They know where the ending is. The ending is really good. And they get to like write right towards it. They don't have to make all this stuff up, but they've chosen to, like, <laughs> to make stuff up lot, anyway. <laughs> they've chosen to deviate uh, a lot along the way. I'm yeah. really glad that uh, the, the dream sequences land with you, right? Um, I love I, that kind of stuff. I That's some of my favorite Sean type of storytelling. I love this interpretation of the man like the performances i think have been so strong um throughout the season i've I've been like talking about them like kind of endlessly week after week here right but i thought that this carried and i wasn't sure how much the costuming would be jarring it's obviously like connecting back to those early scenes we have an impression that this is a person of like age of endurance of of whatever kind of manifestation here he's presenting himself in the same kind of style that we see in that opening scene and he's just manhandling random 
emotionally, right? He's just taunting him like, oh, look, the Dragon Reborn is like dumb. Who'd have guessed that? You don't even know what you're doing, do you? Like, do you even know how to channel? He's asking him and he keeps right. calling him Luz, right? He keeps saying like, come on, Luz. Come on, Luz Theron. Like, wh- who'd have thought that you would come back and like have no clue? It really does. Uh, it's only like, occurring to me now how mean it is to name the character Luz yeah, Theron. Yeah, very funny. Considering right? how badly he lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he pulled it off. Such like a him, loser. We all lost yeah. for uh, his efforts. But I do love the like back and forth with the two of them where he's like, oh, the dragon reborn is a fool. Like every turning of the wheel is different, I guess, you know, uh, then then like Rand uh, kills himself to wake up, which is like a big deal uh, in a way, because like Moraine, first of all, we get this like fake out death with Moraine. Did that like at all take for you? Do you immediately know it's a dream when you like, um, shift into that? Yeah, I was pretty convinced it was a dream the place where i was so it definitely alarmed me tremendously to see rosamund pike get impaled through the back of the the head like like a reverse uh uh stepfather todd from terminator 2 george mason you know like it kind of had that vibe and so i was just waiting for the milk carton to drop um but so that was definitely uh triggering uh mm-hmm. but i i was not concerned that she was dead in that moment especially you know when when the man is engaging rand on who cares if it's a dream yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. when rand wakes up from the dream now i was in this place where i was braced for the dream to start playing out as reality and so i was uh on edge for something sort of thrilling action-packed to happen around yep. moraine and it didn't um yep. Uh, I was which, like really, yeah. I, I really love the. It was, it was effectively tense for me. Yep. I really love the random Moraine and the blight stuff. This was some of like my favorite stuff throughout the episode. I love him interacting with the man. I felt that like the two of them and most of that dream sequence, like it's really working for me. Um, I'm I, like, I, I saw some, some folks asking, Oh gosh, is this series going to take like a big sci-fi spin? It is not. Uh, we are like firmly rooted in this time, in this place, the kind of uh, the, the dress, the garb, the culture that like we've been acclimated to in these eight episodes is where we're going to exist throughout this story. But it's important to like know, like clearly the show wants us to understand when we're talking about the age of legends, we're talking about a time of like uh, of like uh, incredible achievement. Right. It's this thing I talk about in Dungeons and Dragons all the time. where like it's a great storytelling device to like put your adventure, your fantasy adventure world in like a kind of post apocalyptic environment. But you go far enough away from the apocalypse where like society, civilization, culture are thriving again and they have built up in the afterwards. Right. There's all this stuff stuff that's lost moraine even says like when they get to the eye of the world and rand's like what is this place and she's like we don't know like all the Aes Sedai's records were destroyed by dark friends right, right. it's been three thousand years long that's time. a long time right long um, time. so they've lost like all this knowledge and i think this is a thing that like we take for granted in the modern day as we go about living our lives but like so much of what uh, our day-to-day experiences it's built on like it stands on the backs of those who came before us of the knowledge that like people have spent centuries accumulating gathering collecting uh innovating on advancing right and to lose all of that like sets these people back catastrophically right that's why we're like existing in this kind of uh medieval analog this renaissance analog right yeah. so i i love the back and forth with rand and the man uh 
the whole like bit with the arrow is excellent. I will say, he, like, like swallowed it. He swallowed yeah, it. It's his so cool. Face. It's just it's like it's it innovative, dope. right? I it was like. Cool. How many like cool things have we seen like people do with cool VFX and like fantasy shows, comic books, sci-fi, all of this? It felt like original and awesome. And the fact that it like peels the whole burning face into his head as he shoves the arrow, it's so good, man. I loved it. it. Yeah, it was like Excalibur vibes from like the old like well, 80s just, Excalibur movie. It's you know, so good. You're, you, so you either get Sauron, who is just a huge, you know, fiery mm -hmm. something in the sky, mm -hmm. or you get the Night King who doesn't say shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to right? get, you know, some kind of collision of those things, but also with voice, with seductiveness, you know, that there was this real seductive quality oh, to this yeah. character. He's very charming. Felt like, yeah. felt like dealing with the devil, you know. That's... The only thing that it could have done is if they could have lifted Al Pacino off of Hunters and thrown him into the Wheel of Time if Bezos could have arranged that and you have him just doing the devil's advocate as the man. Uh, Rand, oh! You know, uh, like, that yeah. could have been that could have been something Where's else. Antonio when you need him. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I but I, I love that we were like dealing with either either Lucifer himself or Lucifer's accountant. You know, it was it, it had that vibe. He it was really neat. It. And, I'm, and I'm really it. intrigued to see um, more from that character because the way that he parts ways with the show. Uh, leaves me feeling like we definitely haven't seen the last of whatever this guy is all about. Um, I love that you note the smile as he's like nuked out of existence. I no, really he loves love it. He loves yeah. it. He's thrilled. He's this, whatever like, this smirk. outcome was, he's he's psyched about it. And it even when like. like Rand stabs himself to leave the dream, there's this point where he rolls his eyes and he's like, oh, you know, he's so yeah. like exacerbated with this dumb kid. And like he, he really uh, he just embodies that. Like, I know so much more than you. You are like a flea in this like web that you cannot even begin to comprehend like just get out of my way man you know don't you just want to have this kid all you need to do is just want it rand just want it enough right um and i love like the authenticity of rand that like fundamentally like what pulls him out of that beat is he's like look like it, it, there, there's this great dignity to what he's saying at the end right where he's like it doesn't matter what i want this woman what about what she wants like she would never want this and i know her well enough to I know thought that, that was like, so nice. This is like not authentic. This is not the woman that I love. This is this dream of what I want her to be, but she is not that, right? And that's yeah. like the tragedy to the two of them. That's kind of beautiful. Um, uh, like spoilers for the book, I guess, but like Rand and Egwene's relationship is kind of different in the book. They are not like as connected uh, by the end of the Eye of the World, especially. And and a lot of people have had different feelings about this of like the book readers that I've of, seen of, right? like the, the depths of the romance. You yeah, mean? yeah. Right. Well, I think like a lot of romance is being pushed to the forefront of the show where it's not necessarily in, in the books because it, it's a TV show. We got a lot of like really attractive, awesome people and we're tracking all these relationships and it's something like accessible for us as viewers. Right. But it just was so beautiful and poignant that like what pulls him out finally, what like pivots his decision. He grabs that Sa'angriol. He follows follows through on like Moraine's plan because of like his respect for this woman that he loves. And like the fact that he knows her well enough to know, like, this is not true. He asks her the whole like little test question. What did we carve on the tree, Egwene? Like our place uh, in this life and the next yeah. forever. Like, oof, that like chokes me up. That's like good writing. It's very romantic. I love it. Right. There's another great line that we'll talk about later, but like that beats awesome. Um, but ultimately 
like that's just Rand's memories, right? This is this like interpretation of his mind, his dream. Like if he can remember that, then he can make this like imaginary version of her mm-hmm. remember that as well. And I think that we get to the place where he acknowledges like this is what I want you to be. This is the like this is my dream, not yours. And yeah. even though like I could remake it and grab the world, make it what I want, um, I won't. I had a couple people ask me like they felt like there wasn't a clear evil to this. Like what the man is like asking of Rand here. It's not this clear light and dark Moraine's kind of like, Oh, you have to kill yourself. You have to be willing to like die to shut the dark one away. And here's this guy who's like, dude, you could just go live your life. Like right. you could go back to two rivers. Remember in episode one, you said you wanted that house. Like, sure. Here's your house. Go have it. Right. And that's, the beauty of what's happening here of the seduction that it's not you know the the dark one is not trying to seduce people by like we could swallow the world in fire and ash right Right. who wants this nobody wants this but it's this kind of apathy it's this like it's this selfishness is what he's promoting right like forget the rest of the world forget the plight of all these other people you can have what you want and in this life isn't that enough and this is like uh you know it's pretty tempting yeah it's one of like the great failings of man right this is the eternal struggle of us like day to day as a people of like balancing the needs of the men you can go and live needs. you can go and live in your pizza house made of pizza on a mountain also made of pizza and you can <laughs> just watch tv and no one's going to bother you and you got your cats and emily's there and all of your friends are there and just don't look over here at all of this i would have to yeah. think about it probably yeah. for half a second yeah. to be totally honest with you it's very uh, tempting. it's very tempting uh you know, so I, I did think that that was effectively sold. Uh, it, it has. I, I think for me, I was I was really quick to to read it as sort of the the final scene ish of the devil's advocate of it is Keanu versus Pacino. And it's Pacino, you know, taste, but don't touch. You know, it has yep. that vibe of uh, look at all of the things that you could do. And come on, you just have to, you just have to ignore this piece of it. But if you do, everything's going to be great and you're going to be happy. And so I thought that that felt very shorthanded for me, that I was able to kind of read uh, sort of the 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 subtext of of that scene. And it felt dangerous. It did. Yep. It, fe- it felt it felt really dangerous. And I thought that Rand's way out of it by honing in, you know, on uh, the 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 source that is. Who is Egwene actually, and not as yep. not as who who do I want Egwene to be? I thought was was uh, was was really 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 well done. There's so much more from this episode we got to get into. Let's take a quick commercial break. We're gonna throw it to commercial real quick. When we come back, we have so many different things that we need to still address. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, we have returned, Rich. Uh, there's so much with, with Rand that I feel like we could still keep talking about Rand and the dark one, but there's so many different things that have happened here as well. I don't even know where uh, where I would want to start with everything. You tell me where you want to go. Uh, yeah, just my last notes there on the Rand stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I really thought this is the stuff that worked for me. A lot of like the Rand and Moraine, Rand talking to the man, uh, the dream, this battle. Again, like it plays really differently in the text. And, and they had to change here. Everybody who like knows the books well knows this ending was going to get like dramatically rewritten. Right. Um, it had to be to function for a television show. So we all like came in with this expectation. And this was this was a choice that they made in this particular choice of this confrontation. I. I'm pretty cool with. I love that we actually got to see Moraine like follow through on what she said to Swan. Like, look, if I have even an inkling that they're going to turn to the dark, I'll kill them. And yeah. she's ready to kill them, right? And the interplay of like the man in the dream, like luring Rand with this like very simple appeals, while also like sitting there talking to Moraine. We haven't like talked about that at all. I don't know mm -hmm. if you want to go there, but well, like, I, I think that talking about Moraine in this episode is 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 very worthwhile as sort of a next stop. Um, because she is, you know, we see that she is willing to do exactly what she said. You know, she's not going to lie, right? She can't. Mm -hmm. um, and she even tells that to Rand, I can't lie that I don't know where you are. Mm -hmm. She's like, you'll find a way. You'll um, figure something out. Yeah. But can she lie now, I guess, is my question, because she seems to have lost her connection to the source. Was she gentled? Did she get so, gentled by let's the, talk by for the a man? Second. Let's talk for a second, because this is a big point of contention, and we could talk about it just within the bounds of what we learned on the show. Yes, please. But we met Logan, and they were holding Logan, right? And we needed two Aes Sedai to hold Logan. This is the process of shielding. Right. When you shield somebody from the source, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're putting a shield between we see these conduits, right? When the folks are channeling, they're drawing this panel externally. Uh, the power is not like just within them. It's their ability to touch the power and then to channel the power from these outward sources, Sidene and Sidar, the male and the female half. Right. Um, or, or we can we don't have to like uh, genderize them per se, but like these are the two halves that like the genders can ex access. Right. Um, um, so in the shielding of Loghain, this is temporary. We saw him like break the shield and then they gentle him. Uh, they still him, right? It's called stilling in women. It's called gentling in men. Um, and that is the permanent severing. So at the point that we see Moraine get cut off, she like begins channeling. The man whoosh, drops this weave over top of her. Um, is she stilled permanently? 
is she like cut off from the source permanently? This is sort of the tension she, leaving. Is the she held or... by a shield, right? Yeah. So I think that me as a like hyper keen eyed nitpicky viewer, um, I'm looking at like the visual effect they use there, and it exactly mirrors the one that they drop on Logan when they're shielding him. Got it. Not when they gentle him, right? But then we see this cool moment where the man like it cuts to his hand and he does this quick kind of gesture. It's almost like the tying of a knot. Right. So I think, and I think a lot of like book viewers think that this is like, she's been gentled and he tied off the weave or she's been, uh, I'm sorry, shielded. Yeah. And he ties off the weave rather than that. She's been gentled and like permanently cut off. Um, and I'm like getting sloppy with my terminology here. Forgive me. There's a lot of jargon, yeah, Rich. There's a lot know, of vocabulary. You know. and I'm trying to like tackle it all. Yeah, I think that um, Rafe has like talked a bit about this in terms of like season two, where they're going, why he made this choice. This is a decidedly different choice than the books. This does not yeah. happen to Moraine at the eye of, in the eye of the world yeah. at the end of the books. Um, so I'm a bit in the dark as you are. And I'm clearly grasping at straws here to be like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah, what happened? No, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it. No, I'm 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 interested in it. This is one of those moments that feels like this this must be sort of a later book thing that's getting retied to now. And so if that's the case, then you and your brethren are as uh if not as in the dark as the rest of us, then you're a little bit scrambly for what what this is what this is going to how this is going to transpire. Um I don't want to dip too deep into other shows. Uh, here, uh, but it feels similar to to maybe some other relevant uh, stories in this space of to to have this all powerful person be kind of tied off from the thing that makes her or seemingly makes her so powerful in the first place. I mean, in some ways, is this not just Spider-Man 2? And is she not just Peter Parker going through some stuff, unable to to access the tingle and the web shooters and all of that stuff back in the Toby days? Um, But I'm I'm curious to see what does Moraine look like without these powers? uh, Has she also been robbed of her conviction? You know, Mm -hmm. these are things that we that we still need to know. One thing that I really need to know is what was Moraine's tell? So, so Nynaeve oh. tells Lan, I didn't track you. I tracked her. She has a tell. I'll teach it to you. The show didn't really show that though. Right. Can I just say here? he just kind uh, of goes and finds her. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, Effectively. Listen, listen. Did I miss something? Remember in the beginning, Josh, you said three characters, three characters to watch out for. And I said Land Man Dragger. And Land is like so badass. It's so capable. And the Land in the show has is not quite as badass and capable, which I'm cool with. I want accessible Land. I like Land that's like relatable. He's chill. But you mean every to tell land, me as it were this wisdom from the two rivers has to explain to a Land Man Dragon how to track the woman that he has spent every day of the last 20 years walking through the forests with. He can't figure that out. As a, I, 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 I'm annoyed, Josh. I mm-hmm. it, like really bothered me. They don't show the tell. They don't show anything. And Nynaeve is really awesome. See, guys, I think I would be okay. Ass, but... I would be okay as long as they showed us the tell, because I could, li- I could live with the world where, you know, Lan is not this, you know, absolute icon. We stand Lan and instead Lan is in every land. Uh, and that isn't every land and 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 that for me that land could be uh, like i could accept a land who's a little bit sloppy with moraine because he's just been
been leaning on the bond for so long. And if he's mm-hmm. cut off from the bond, you know, oh, shit, I don't know how to find Moraine. You know, I can live with that because I don't know much different than that. Um, mm-hmm. But show me the tracking device. Yep. Show yep. me the tell. Yep. If you're going to yep. tell me that there's a tell, I would like to know what that's all about. This, yep. These are the kinds of the things that the show does that uh, I, I wouldn't even say bother me, but just hold me back from, you know, uh, you know, digging in too, 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 too deep into like, this is a show that I need to pay razor close attention to every single little detail because these are moments where I'm like, well, the show isn't really, uh, you know, valuing that stuff quite as much either. So I, I, I should take like- its lead. That's a great point. I guess that's what's getting me because I think in certain ways the show is doing so much small stuff that you do need to be paying close attention, right? You can miss all those pot and fane scenes of like pot and fanes popping up here. He's popping up there. He's hiding. There's all this little stuff that's nestled in, but then they just get kind of hand wavy with some of this. Yeah. Stuff, you know what I mean? And it's inconsistent. It's right? hard like, to tie that together. That's what's getting me. Yeah. Well, that's why like I'm critical, particularly of this episode, because I feel like again and again and again, there's a lot of these kind of like hand waving tv things of like yeah don't think about it too much you know yeah whatever like we need to make Nynaeve look cool here and it's like dude Nynaeve is really cool like you don't need to give her this thing if you're just gonna have land be purple land all episode that he literally is just like mia the whole time we get him like we see him he, he's got a great line with Nynaeve that actually did make me very happy and then he's just wandering along and shows up at like the perfect moment to get like a nice big exposition drop at the end of the episode I'm yeah like, it's a disservice to me of um all these awesome tools that they have to like tell this tale with right so so it was a crowd pleaser though the moment that um lan and nynaeve are talking and how as a wisdom she could never wed but as an i said i maybe there's there's mm-hmm. some room here or something and this is this is when he tells her uh i'm gonna butcher the line and then you'll correct it, it yeah is, sure uh uh i will i will hate the man you who I will hate the man you love or I will hate the man you choose because he is not me. Uh, but I will love him forever because he's something cool. I don't know. That's, That's pretty good. Josh. You did pretty good. And this, this is, is this is straight from Robert Jordan. This oh, is straight yeah. from the eye of the world. And this yeah. was when I read it. This had big vibes of uh of of daniel day lewis and madeline stowe i will find you no matter matter how far wherever you go you know it kind of had that big sort of sweeping epic vibe in the text where i was like whoa my heart uh i I really felt flush when i read that in the in the book and it, it was a powerful moment here on the show as well you're speaking right to my heart talking about Daniel Day-Lewis in the last <laughs> movie because you know that's my favorite scene of all yeah. time. Uh, it's such a good scene. I, I Whenever I get you, I will find you. I will um, find you. So this line is straight from the books, right? And this is, I have a note here where like, these are Robert Jordan's words. And like, I guess uh, I wish they would have used a few more of Robert Jordan's words by the end of the day here. Cause he wrote some good ones. Right? Yeah. Um, but this line is a line right out of the books. It's, it's at, right around this point where like, uh, you know, Nynaeve's like relationship with Ran has been growing kind of like more or land has been growing more tense. And he gives her this, like, um, I will hate the man you choose because he's not me, but I will love him because, 
because he makes you happy. You're a lioness wisdom, right? And it's so good. It reads so awesomely. It's the first kind of like big moment that like they're acknowledging anything going on with each other in the text. It's tragic. It's the epitome of like romance that Romeo and Juliet like fated not to be together despite the immensity and intensity of our emotions, right? And it just lands, man. Like um, I've saw some people like feeling like maybe it wasn't super earned. Like, didn't they just hook up last night? Like, yeah, all right, all right. These people feel big feelings, and we've talked about the pacing already. Right? And I um, and I I will I will say that if not for the fact that I read the book, you know, I read the first book, and so I felt like I got some time with these characters yep. to develop that stuff out that maybe I wouldn't have only in the in the show, that I would feel that probably uh yep. very deeply as well i feel like i've spent a little more time with these characters just a little more yep. uh time with these characters than the show has provided me with but i would absolutely say that the pace of the land and Nynaeve stuff feels fast very feels quick very very quick it's very uh, quick. you know it's yep. another piece of the show that does not uh typically work that well for me i was very happy i thought we were gonna get this i was but like, i still love uh, it it's very cute so i'm happy I was kind of live reacting to episode seven when I watched it last week in the discord and the wheel of time channel. And um, we got to like the part where like naive shows back up in the room and I'm like, Oh, it's going to be this line. He's going to say the line. I love this line. Oh, I love the line. I'm doing the DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Yeah. And then like, it didn't happen. And I was like, okay, never mind." So when it happened this time, I like jumped up. Oh, he's saying the line. He's saying, the line. I was very happy. I yeah. love this beat. But then from here, like land just takes a powder, man. He wanders off of the blight not to be right, seen see again until like you know he's gonna glance at the seven towers which were very small and then he's gonna show up at the end and uh yeah it was good this was good and scene, those but, towers but, belong those are his birthright right that's what yes, we had heard so, before so the seven towers of, of Melkir. this yeah. is um the capital city of like the kingdom of Melkir. and we do get some important notes here from moraine right like as she's talking to rand like and he's like oh it looks like it's been here forever and she's like yeah dude this is 40 years like two at years most, ago the said, yeah. yeah she's like two years ago the blight was miles from tarwin's gap and now like we just walked right into it uh the blight is expanding yeah. the dark one is like coming closer to touching the world he's gonna break free from the boar this is like this mounting kind of thing that we should understand between like what Algamar is telling his sister what like moraine is saying there and we see land like peer through the blight at the seven towers uh the scale of them felt a little smaller than i liked they talk about malkir as like this land of like a thousand lakes and the seven Seven towers and you kind of get the impression it's almost like the watchtowers and the lord of the rings like they're stretched across mountainsides and far and vast and like it just felt a little a little consolidated yeah. to me like you could see them all through like this tiny section of the blight period now. but nonetheless i was glad we had seven towers if not as big as i wanted them to be but yeah. uh so then the rest so land has nothing to do other yep. than find moraine at the end um and so Nynaeve is then going to to be portioned off with Egwene for the rest of the episode as they are effectively going to be um, the last line of defense here as the Trollocs army is arriving at uh, Faldara um, and uh, the, the ruler of Faldara, whose name you'll have to fill in for me. Lord Agomar. That he is basically like, yeah, shit, well, we're going to die today. And yep. that sucks. Uh, yep. But you can hold it down. Uh, that's his sister is yes. who he's talking to. Yes. Uh, like Lady Amalisa. 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, can you hold it down? Can you be the last line of defense? We'll do our part and we'll die and slow him down. And then maybe that gives you enough time to conjure cool lightning powers. It's like, yeah, we'll do the cool lightning powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's effectively what's going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Is there's the big, there's the big battle at the gap. Basically, not the, not the store. Uh, basically everybody there is killed. That's where Perrin and loyal and everybody are digging around for the horn. Yeah. So right. They're all in Faldara. There's the separate fortress up in the gap, right? At the horn of winter is it finally here no we finally gonna blow the wall down with that thing wrong horn wrong sorry, horn sorry. wrong horn that's yeah. okay it's the horn of valir which i think is only mentioned for the first time in this episode there's a bunch of important terms that come up in this episode taviran right uh also we'll get into it i guess but yeah it, it, we we get this beat uh you know Egwene, naive parent loyal first they stop in and see min she has these prophecies which come to fruition immediately yeah she which, sees like, naive she's like oh shit you're gonna get electric and die. Yeah. And then like the horn blows, everything like pops off. It's all going right here. Nynaeve like talking to Elaine, like um, and, and Egwene like asking, Can you hear the wind? And Nynaeve is saying, I can't. Since the first time I channeled, I can't hear it anymore, which is a little telling. And she's like, What do you hear? And Egwene's like, just like Beltane, right? But worse, and we hear like the screaming, the battle's about to start. I wish uh, that the- she had just looked at the camera. What do you hear? Man bear pig. Oh my god. <laughs> so many. Um, it's an army of man bear pigs. Um, I like the beat that we touch in on men. I don't love the way the prophecies played here. Like I felt like we got prophecies last time that we're supposed to like nestle in our heads and think about. And these ones, she's like, Oh yeah. Like she sees things and then they just immediately happen. Yeah. Uh, we do have her saying like what she sees always comes to pass. We see her jump on like a, a the best you know, and the worst and things kind of roll I think out. she said, right? The yep, best and the sure worst does. things always happen. Yes, she yeah. sure does. The best and the worst things always happen. Um, but yeah, this idea that like they call for all the women of the city who can channel even a trickle, right? Uh, and so Egwene and Nynaeve have this beat. And Nynaeve's like, look, I can't lose any more of you. Like we really get as much as the time is not there spent with the characters in these moments. It's important to like hear what Nynaeve's saying. Like, I can't lose any more of you. We've already lost Matt. I can't lose you again. Like right. I came all this way like please come on just go and Egwene's like look we can't you know like how can I go like we can't go right so they end up helping uh, they end up part of like this crew of not Aes Sedai notably but just women who can channel right. uh, to try to like defend Faldara af- if the, the, the army can get past Charwin's Gap which, which it do. does yes. very easily seemingly <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they basically what they kind of hook up to each other as sort of another mega superconductor they link into a circle. These are called circles. We saw one for the gentling of Logan, right? Where like quickly Leandra's like link and they all link up. Uh, Amelisa, like we got this beat early on with Moraine when they hit Faldara last episode where she's like, you trained at the White Tower. You weren't strong enough to pass the test to become an Aes Sedai. This is again, like, I guess just a point of frustration to me as we're making such a big change from the books like clearly they want this battle at the end we want to see the battle at Faldara but it felt to me a little bit like they were trying to pull off Helm's Deep uh, from the two towers of the Lord of the Rings and like they only had like 12 minutes worth of time to do it and like it's all just so fast and rushed and it feels like there's really cool setup some of the lines that Algomar has talking to Amelisa are really awesome right like we've defended this place for like for for ages our fathers did it 
their fathers before them. It's the city that's never fallen. Like we're all going to die. It's the beginning yeah. of Tarman Gaiden. But our job here is not to win. It is to slow them enough that we give like the men and women of the world a chance. Right. right. It's the embodiment. It's the other side of the coin of like what Rand needs to do. Right. Like um, he needs to like give the men and the women of the world a chance. Right. Uh, it just feels like so rushed and like kind of anticlimactic in the way it pays off for me, at least. That was like my two cents. Yeah, felt like yes. business as usual okay. for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's yep. the truth. Yep. Yep. You know, for yep. me, it felt like the show. For me, it felt like it was the pace of the show. Yeah. Uh, which is not to say that this is my desired pace. It just means that this is what the show has been for me for the most part. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so Nynaeve does fry to death. And then Egwene is like, I don't like that. And so she does for Nynaeve what Nynaeve did for Lan, effectively. I guess. So this is a real point here where I have to, a lot of people would be like, okay, was Nynaeve dead? So we see them go into the circle, right? We see one of these women just burn out. We've had a little beat here. Moraine told us earlier in the season, if you channel too much of the power unchecked, part of the Aes Sedai training is learning to control it. And we see Amelisa at the head of the circle. It's like a drug, right? It's this euphoric, overwhelming, naive is screaming at her like, we killed them. We stopped them all. Let it go. And she's like, I can't, right? I think, what does she say? Uh, I, can, I can feel every breath, every gust of the world, every last stone in life, right? She's like tapped in to all of it and she can no longer control herself they're flaring out like candles naive seemingly this is where a ton of stuff happens that i just don't know how it's earned josh but like naive cuts like Egwene's about to burn out but naive stops her and proceeds to like absorb that power into her at which point she burns out right and men's like vision is fulfilled and is she dead uh because this is like a real she important note in the books that like the one power cannot restore the dead to life well if they sure could that like would solve dead. a lot of issues sure so, looks, she looked dead dude she looked very dead dude she looked like she was fried out she had she the fried face dead. and the fried eyes and i can't Blue imagine lips. that the brain was not so fried either she looked dead deceased for sure in, in my head canon she was on the brink of death uh-huh. i think that she was about to die just like lan was about to die but there's no like clarity here you know um part of the reason i guess the wheel of time is like hit so well is like the magic systems are very defined there's a lot of specificity i don't expect them to bring most of that to the forefront in the show it's really hard to like make that interesting i think but um it all just seems very loose and muddy of what happened here loose all Baron. we know is like yeah Lucerne, indeed. Uh, Nynaeve torches, Egwene saves her. Take it for what you will. I think yeah. the big important note is like Nynaeve and Egwene are really powerful. When you're watching that circle and Amalisa is channeling the weaves, the weaves coming from like Egwene and Nynaeve are 10 times brighter than the ones from those other women. They are like unchecked, really, really powerful. Um, in my mind, I think this just undercut the Aes Sedai a little bit. It made me feel like I thought the Aes Sedai is what we've been told are like the most badass, the most trained, the most awesome. And we just watched five untrained women, none of whom are Aes Sedai, smoke 20,000 Trollocs, 10,000 Trollocs in like a blink. Yeah. Uh, and like, why had, weren't they in the fortress? Why didn't they go with yeah. the guys? Why weren't they on the wall? I don't know. I, don't I know. had canon that as Nynaeve and Egwene are crazy powerful and crazy important. And they are two of the five spokes of this central wheel that we keep yes. hearing 
hearing about. And so that gives them big edge up. So I, you know, and, and they are both like very deeply firmly, not just on Moraine's radar, but also on, uh, gosh, what is her name? Leon, Leandra, yeah, Leandra. Uh, that they're on her radar as well. And that they are on the, they have met privately with the Amerlin seat. Oh, yeah. uh, so that these two are, uh, highly coveted entities within the magic casting Shh. segment of this world. So if there was a huge, enormous success in what happened here, as well as with, again, I'm so sorry that I'm forgetting the name of the, of the, of the central woman in this, in this. Amalisa. Amalisa. How dare she, you forget the great Amalisa, Josh. Clearly that, this was her breakout episode. That Amalisa, that she, but she had this moment with Maureen last week too, where it was clear that she had all of the uh, makings of being a real, Really powerful Aes Sedai. So already she is somebody who's really, really importantly powerful and made a choice that moved her away from the Aes Sedai, but she was well qualified to do it. And then you've got these two incredible raw talents in mm -hmm. Nynaeve and Egwene. And I, as a viewer of this show, am, uh, am inclined to now, especially after the Nynaeve moment back in episode three, was it? Or episode four, I think actually it was. Uh, was the big outburst yeah, episode four? Yeah, mm -hmm. that uh, you know she's the most powerful one we've ever seen in you know in in so 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 long. That between her and Egwene also being somebody that Moraine took very specific interest in. Rand checks it in this episode. You thought Egwene was the dragon, oh, yeah. you yep. know um, that I can buy that these two specifically all on their own would be powerful enough to to crush large swaths of a Trollocs army. And if you put Amelisa in there as well, who the show it since her appearance till now has given us some information to know that she was also like incredibly, incredibly powerful in, in her own right. That's three of the, what were there five people there? Yep. 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 That's a, that's a, a strong, a strong um, contingent. It did not bother me that much, I guess is the point. I'm glad you got that read, right? Because that's definitely what the takeaway should be. It should be that Nynaeve and Egwene are that powerful, yeah. right? And I guess like my nits that I'm picking here are like, but, and it is about the pacing fundamentally. We've had no time watching them train. Moraine hasn't really taught them anything. They're seemingly doing really complex stuff, restoring life and death, like taking themselves out of the circle. And I guess the other note is like um, a small line, like when Moraine talks to Amelisa, and I'm watching really close, Josh, right? But she says like, oh yeah, you weren't able to pass the tests if they just put a different bead of dialogue there that indicates to me something like you're in the same boat i am like you know moraine saying like i've been i've been exiled i can't go back just something to indicate that amelisa was that powerful right but like wasn't an Aes Sedai for a uh for like a, a decision that she made or a choice but they like insinuate that like she's weak and i guess that's the stuff where i'm like it just it, it like for me, you know, it, it's like a little grain of sand in my shoe. I get you know that. What I mean, totally um, and it's that. not that big of a deal because it is honestly like amongst the effects I'm complaining about. The charge of the Trollocs, I thought, was like a little rough here, especially like in the daylight, the immensity of the fortress and Agamar and the defense, like it just felt thin. It felt the scenes felt like empty a little bit to me, but at least like the lightning strikes, they did look badass. The army of like Trollocs, like every time a lightning bolt hits and you're watching like a dozen of them get blasted into the air. That looked really cool. It did. Uh, <laughs> I did really like that. It looked awesome. It, looked yeah, it awesome. did look good. That part looked great. Um, yeah. Yep. I thought that was cool. Um, all right, so Nynaeve is alive now, and so yep. is Egwene, and yep. we don't know what the future holds for either of them, but they have nope. exhibited extraordinary power. Meanwhile, Perrin's storyline in this episode effectively seems to be... 
<sighs> but not killing people is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Loyal, uh, who gets stabbed and appears to be killed in this episode, but Rafe Judkins, showrunner and Survivor alum, is out here in the press being like, ah, he'll be fine. No, uh, so we didn't kill Loyal. That we didn't seems, kill Loyal. That seems yeah. to be what Rafe says. So if you're worried about Loyal, Rafe is out there in interviews straight up saying, nah, he's fine. He'll be fine. Um, that the story takes Perrin and Loyal because uh, Loyal says you just have to ask the right questions. You're not asking the right questions. Uh, and Which I didn't... the question is just like, how do I? How can I help? I think. Yeah. <laughs> this was the, the the parent and Loyal, and then the search for the horn. This was easily the weakest part of the episode yep. for me because I just did not understand what was yep. really going on. No culmination of the wolf stuff here that nope. I think I would have appreciated just a little more clarity on what the hell is going on with all of that. And instead, um, you know, bringing Perrin back a little bit to the way of the leaf, which is thematically, you know, uh, a nice direction to to go in considering how his story began with uh, you know, the controversial killing of his wife, uh, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and, you know, maybe getting into some measure of, is he going to be somebody who who lays the ax down in favor of the way of the leaf? That could be compelling, but it just felt maybe a little, uh, I don't know, it, you know, it just did not feel supremely clear what he was doing instead. Effectively, yep. they go and they find this horn that when blown is going to assemble like the baddest of asses. Is that, is that yeah, right? Is that effectively is, what this thing is? Yeah, the gist is Agomar is like, look, I got to go defend the fortress. And he looks at his two point guys, Unona Mesta, and he's like, you know what you have to do. And they give him the look like, oh, and he just, yeah. Okay, so they're going to get the horn. And it is, in fact, going to summon the most baddest of asses. Yeah. Uh, it summons the heroes of the horn, the greatest hero that the pattern has ever spun into existence. Right. Um, and they are to fight at Tarman Gaiden. I think we've the named final battle as the last, called, right? battle. the last battle. Yes. Uh, and there is this, this may notion not that be the think, last battle. It was the first, right? There's this notion that they think this is the last battle. This is Tarman Gaiden. It's at least the beginning of the end. Right. Right. Um, so, so they send these guys to go get, the horn now in the text the horn is like at the eye of the world this is a good change like i'm down with this change if you're going to keep people here but i think this is where we need to probably talk about the elephant in the room because the parent loyal storyline here was very weak uh parent like seemingly doing nothing we've dropped like the wolf stuff entirely which is a bit of a buzzkill yeah um this like debate with the way of the leaf is a thing that like parent is conflicted about in the stories though it's less overt uh he's very enamored with the idea but like pushes back against it much harder it doesn't seem to be a thing that he's really like wants to embody because like he knows he can there also seems to be a suggestion in the show that loyal follows the way of the leaf that the ogier follow the way of the leaf potentially which is a very notable change for okay. reasons um but so pod and fane shows up he comes yes. in he's got murdral they kill a couple because people. he's just been so he's been such a background figure that if you don't know to track him and we've talked about him a bunch on the podcast here, the whistles, there he is. They mentioned him last week. I think I mm-hmm. saw Pod and Fane uh, played by Johan Myers, who is really most notably in the first episode as yep. the merchant who comes 
to the two rivers. Turns out this dude is a dark friend and has been for a while. And he says, yeah, I've been I've been coming to the two rivers. Why do you think I keep showing up? You yeah, know, it's you think I'm, I'm here to sell pots and pans. I've been looking for the five of you. You're Taviran, he says, yeah. which is like an important note uh, when you're talking about the five of them being spokes of the wheel. Taviran is like a term of the old tongue. All these terms are old tongue. Sidin, Sidar, Taviran, Daishan. Uh, and so the Taviran are people that the pattern uh, kind of spins out and it makes them these like figures of destiny. There right. are people that like the pattern is going to weave itself around. The Ka is a wheel. Out of yeah. yeah, exactly. Ka-tet. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, that's real comparisons for a, a bad adaptation. R.I.P. Dark. Tower. Yeah, I know. Maybe another time, another yeah, spinning yeah, yeah, of the yeah, wheel. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, but so start the next adaptation with Stephen King sitting in a rocking chair, being like, "Forget that." Yeah, please ignore what happened. Please. Now enjoy the story. Yeah. Uh, Kai yeah. is a wheel. Yeah. Oh gosh, that casting. Now I'm on a whole other. I know. <laughs> I judge. know. Having having just obliterated the Dark Tower about a year ago. Now uh, I am desperate for them to try that again. Really uh, fun books. Uh, don't delightful watch the movie. books. Incredible books. Really, yeah. really great. Very strange. Uh, Very strange. Hard to adapt. Uh, yeah. But. Maybe not that much of a swing and a miss. Anyway, totally different topic. Uh, um, yeah, like to the matter of all of it, right? Pod and Fane shows up here, which might have been a surprise to a lot of people. It shouldn't be to the folks that have been listening to us week to right. week because I've been trying to track him, right? We've seen him show up in all these places where Matt and Rand especially and specifically were. And now he comes into the keep and he's going to snatch the horn of a leer right out of Perrin and Loyal's hands. He stabs Loyal, but Rafe says Loyal's not dead. Uh, too many fake out deaths. There are a lot of fake out deaths yeah. in the wheel of time. But like if Loyal's not dead, like you don't need to do this right here because this was like a real moment where I'm like, oh my God. You yeah. know, and I get it. It's TV. We want drama. We want cliffhangers, but like uh it didn't didn't land for me. You know? It does I feel like, like studio note studio note type stuff, or almost feels like in anticipation of studio note type stuff is perhaps an even more cynical way of, of looking at it. Um, you know, it it feel it feels like a really unconfident decision is yep. to do the fake out death of uh of stabbing yep. oil here yeah not a fan uh, of that choice this if, is if, you, if 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 you then have to go to tvline.com like, no loyal is gonna be okay like then why did you do it in the first place exactly um this is where i want to like throw the the people creating the show some love because i'm so happy that the show exists and is being made but again COVID hit them in the middle of production. They were like filming sequentially. They got to episode six. They had a pause for months, uh, for quite a long time, shut down principal photography. Everybody went home. They all came back again. We have uh, very kind of noticeably lost Matt on our journey yes. for these last couple episodes. Yes. And so I think that like we got to talk about it. Right? So yes, but, yes, it is time. It is time to talk about a thing that uh, I know you have brought up on the book club podcast. It's come up a bit. Yep. Not everybody is listening to the book club podcast because they're trying to, to to just watch the show. And that's that's great. Um, and this is something that I knew about, but did not want to bring into the conversation until we got to the season finale. Uh, so this this may be old news for many people. It may be breaking news for some. But we've held on to talking about it until we've reached the end of the season when we you know, kind of have a little bit more of an idea of how this is shaking out. Um, but Barney Harris, who is the actor 
who has played Matt on the show, who dips out at the end of episode six, and we lose him for these two episodes here, and it seems like kind of a sudden departure. Um, it is a departure from the source material in terms of, uh, you know, Matt's definitely part of the ending of the first book in the in the series, at the very least, um, that this is a matter of the actor leaving the show. Uh, mm -hmm. So Barn Harris, who has played Matt throughout season one, will not be returning to the Wheel of Time. Um, this is sort of a, a, a Dario Naharis situation where we are going to have a different actor stepping into the role when we see this character next. Uh, uh, Donald Finn is going to be the name, uh, or Donald Finn is the actor who has been recast as Matt. So when Matt shows back up on the show, and I have no idea what capacity he will show back up in, it will be uh, a different face. It will be a different actor who is playing the character. And this put them in an impossible position. We right? didn't want this to talk is... about it, though, until the end of the season, because I felt like bringing it up earlier would be like, well, then that tips off that Matt will survive season one. And yep. we know that Matt gets into some danger in season one. I don't want to yep. rob people of the experience of uh, could something terrible happen to Matt. So let's see how how it plays out. But we've played out season one. We know Matt just kind of disappears for the final two episodes of the season for mm -hmm. reasons that are to be clear, are uh, unstated uh, as far as I am so, aware. Yeah, it's a very big mystery. You know, people don't want to poke too much. What if it's a personal thing? You know, I, I don't I don't want to like get too deep in the weeds of why the actor is not part of the show anymore, unless there is something you know concrete to talk about. Um, but he's not part of the show anymore. And now the season is over and the character is still involved in the story. Uh, to what extent we will find out, but a different actor is going to be playing the character. Yeah, I just would say here, um, like for whatever it's worth, the fandom has been so great, like sending this guy love for whatever the reason he is that he was not able to return. I think that his like portrayal of Matt in the six episodes that we got him was pretty great. I think it's a he little bit awesome. of a heartbreak because he was kind of a breakout character, right? Yeah. Especially around episode three, episode four, the stuff with like, you know, Rand and Matt and Tom was so good. Barney Harris, uh, he, he very notably amongst the cast had been reaching out to like hardcore book fans there's a lot of booktubers out there wheel of time youtube content creators that like barney was reaching out to these folks to, in, in pre-production to be like what do i need to know i want to get this right so it's a it's a heartbreak like it really it bums me out it's bumming out a bunch of us in the fandom and it's unfortunate but it tied the hands of the showrunners in like a really terrible way here where i think we talked a little bit about how in episode at the end of episode six beginning of episode seven they're going into the ways and there's like they just leave matt they had to right this is like not a choice that they wanted to make as they were crafting the season matt they would have intended to like be here with everybody i expect and he's not and because he's not because they don't have barney harris and they're trying to film these final two episodes to get the season out in time they got to make some pivots here and so you end up with pod and fame He's got Matt's dagger. Uh, I don't know like how well that tracks for anybody. It's a quick shot, right? But it's a very clear shot where we see the ruby hilt and the dagger. He shoves it into like, this is what he stabs Perrin with uh, or loyal with, I should say. Um, you know, if we've been tracking Pod and Fane, uh, Rafe, again, said this in some of his interviews. He's been to all the places that the dagger has been. We saw, you know, Rand and Matt make it to Tarvan. Pod and Fane's right there. He's been kind of following. How he got the dagger remains a mystery. I believe it's something that, like, will be explained in season two, though. The, who knows, right? Right. Um, but we should know he's got the dagger and he stabs Loyal here. And I think that in, in another world where Barney Harris is able to, like, be there to finish the season, he's stabbing Matt. 
right? It feels like a very like full circle kind of thing. Right. The dagger and Matt Moraine told us how like connected the dagger's pulling on him. He's got a darkness in him. They're going back and forth. In Poddenfane's little monologue here, he talks about like some of you will turn to the dark, right? And we get like the cutaway shot of Matt wherever he is. This will probably be the last moment we see Barney Harris portraying that character in this show. Um yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I think they felt like they needed to get somebody stabbed, right? Uh -huh. Someone so had like to get they stabbed. Yeah. Loyal here, and it just like I don't know. You know, it's it's a really hard position for them to be in. And I think Perrin's entire storyline this episode is like space that Matt should be filling in, and and kind of because of that, it really doesn't resonate. Uh, poor Perrin is just like left hanging out to dry. I've been saying that the actor I think is doing so much with so little, but especially through the back half of the season, this poor guy has had like very little to work with. His material hasn't been great, but I think that, uh, he, he has done a, he has done a, an admirable job. Uh, Marcus Rutherford as Perrin, mm -hmm. uh, I think has done an admirable job with what he's been given. And I'm, I'm hopeful for, for more. I did appreciate uh, sort of the hand waviness of the love triangle. Yeah. Me too. And Egwene, she's like, are we good? And he's like, yeah, we'll always be good. This stuff sucks. Honestly, <laughs> you know? like amidst the gems, I keep talking about yeah. it, but there's a really beautiful line there where she's like, I love Rand," And he's like, so do I. So do I. Right. It's so sweet. These guys, yeah. these people really care about each other. They're yeah. like brothers. Right. Um, there's this very like, real familial bond between the people from the two rivers and um i love that one little note and i'm glad yeah let's like let's just squish that love triangle let's get that out hopefully hopefully yeah. that's it yeah um right. so the so the horn of heroes or whatever has been taken yes so pot and fane uh he stabs loyal uh, he stabs Uno, the murderer, effing everybody up, and then he takes this box with the horn of Valir. And this is where, like, there's a lot happening. Uh -huh. And, like, this is akin to the ending of The Eye of the World, where, like, man, you got to be paying attention, right? Because there's a lot of details. It's hard to, like, track. Why is this horn important? We're not really sure, unless you were paying, like, good attention to the entirety of this episode it's the first time it's mentioned it's really important to the last battle uh the dragon needs it to be blown it, we gotta have it for charm and guide and oh now it's gone yeah. uh, and pod and fane gives this great little monologue uh the actor portraying pod and fane is like killing it like yeah. i love pod he's and very fane. good yeah. i just wish that he'd been on the show a little bit more me I too probably um but he does like explain to Perrin, like yeah you think i've been here selling pots and pans i'm tracking you i was coming for you and then he says this thing like we weren't there to burn your village we were there to send you here we were there to get you all moving to him there needs to be balance light and dark some of you will turn right and we cut yeah. away to matt obviously we've heard about the darkness in his heart and it to me like acts as a great mirror and a counterpoint to what's happening with rand in the dream right right and uh like the echo there uh yeah yeah um all right some other stuff from the episode we're gonna have another couple of passes at this of course there's the book club that's coming up we're gonna do a wrap-up show as well where we'll look back both on the finale but the season overall and maybe start looking ahead towards what season two might be all about um so if we miss anything in this one you can you can email us josh at postshowrecaps.com with feedback specifically for that wrap-up show any points that we did not touch on that you want to hear us touch on but we would be remiss if we left this podcast without talking about the ending ending which is, what do they say? They're in the far west? Yes, the far western shore. Yeah, uh, and some someone's just like picking up rocks, hanging out. It's beach day. That poor kid. Ooh. 
It's like the end of Deep Impact and Teo Leone is getting crushed by the tidal wave uh, as these people roll up on ships, summoning uh, the waves. This is like uh, Leviathan coming and eating up your party. Uh, um, it is it is a, a, a wild, trippy ending that I feel like, be please be careful in how much you say here, Rich, because I don't really want to know. Yeah. No, I don't I'm really not... want to know what this means, but I thought that this was intriguing as hell. I thought this was cool. All I really like, what are these, who are these people? Here. What is all this? It's the Ever Victorious Navy. All I really want to <laughs> say here is awesome. Like I for uh, I watched the episode. I'm getting all emotional. I'm getting worked up. I'm throwing books around my house. Josh, I'm yelling at the cats. Yeah. I'm upset about purple land. Out of it. But then we uh we hit this last 60 seconds and I'm like Oh, thank God. That was really badass. Like, I hope that like people see that. They're like, who the F are those people? We need to come back for season two. This is about to get really exciting. Uh, those people, they seem really badass. And they're they seem very well coordinated. <laughs> like yeah. there was a lot of like very coordinated channeling that happened right there. Um what is all that? Uh, the, uh, the, the x-ray, right? Is it the x-ray that identifies them or was it a Rafe interview that I read? I won't say the name. I don't think it's in the x-rays cause okay. I was watching pretty closely. So I won't say the name. Either. I saw if the name, want... but I don't know what they are. Uh, the sh- so I'm not going to say the name. Okay. Here. I won't say the name. I, I won't, won't say, say the, the name. name. Uh, if you want more on them, come check out the book club. We're going to be talking a lot about them and their role and what comes next. Hugely uh, important, Rich. You expect this to be a big season huge, two storyline. Huge. Yeah. Josh, okay. Huge. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that left me really intrigued, and I and I will Good. just reiterate. You know, uh, you know, the the door was opened to pick some nits this week, and so who am I but to accept the invitation? But I will I will say that by and large, I thought that this episode for me was of a fairly uh, reliable quality level of the rest of the season. I'm intrigued by the show. I really, you know, I really like the characters a lot. I really love the performances. I think that the world it inhabits is very, very interesting. I get the sense that if I could, you know, cleanly read all 14 of those books, that I would be enamored and I would be oh, deeply yeah, invested in, in a really, really, really big way. Um, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I do think one of us should stand guard as the yep. non-book reader. Yep. Uh, and so I will I will continue to do that. And also because, as you know, I don't know how to read. Uh, and it is a difficult pursuit for me. That's uh, a lie. I know it to be false. Yes. Uh, well, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep, uh, you know, there's a watership down joke to be made about the I ending know, of I this didn't season. Say it. You did, so thank you for that. <laughs> My infamous yeah. favorite book, Watership yeah. Down. Watership's um, up by the end of season one of The Wheel of Time. Uh, that I that I really enjoy it, and I and I love getting to chat with you about it. Uh, that is my favorite part by far, and that is why I love podcasting generally. Is it's usually my favorite part of any given show is then getting to talk to people about it. With a hundred a hundred percent, it's just so oh, it's it's so fun to to sink your teeth into something that is as as meaty as this show is, and it's a very very meaty show. Um, I am definitely as intrigued about the next episode of the series as I've been all series long about the next episode of the series. Uh, you know, I, I definitely still feel like, okay, show me more. I want to know more. I do hope that they slow down a little bit. I'm not yep. confident that they will. Yep. And so if that's the pace of the show, then I will adjust my expectations accordingly. And I think sure. that for me as somebody who is invested at the level that I'm invested in, I'm a pretty happy customer right now. 
Um, look, honestly, we focused on a lot of the stuff that I felt good about from this episode. There was a lot of little things that like annoyed me. I just felt like the, there were a few unearned decisions. They contradicted themselves in a couple of places. I think they tried to do more than they needed to in episode eight and they stretched themselves too thin. I think that like a lot of the time spent with like the battle and Lord Agomar, like those scenes did not work for me, not because they're not like cool inherently, but because they just like didn't have enough resources to to bring the bear there right i would preferred they focused in on less and did it better right uh like quality not quantity i would rather lose more stuff from the books if the stuff that's getting translated is getting translated with like high fidelity at least in uh it's like emotional impact in the themes in the tone rather than like the the verbatim kind of uh one for one like i'm not looking for that i haven't yeah. been looking for it all season but as i find myself here looking back on the Steppen and the Karine of it all and like spending episodes doing stuff like that when here we are eight episodes in and the kind of universal response from readers and non-readers life because like gosh it feels rushed like uh we're, we're spending a lot of time in places that I I'm I'm you know uh, I'm I'm of mixed opinion about, but fundamentally, I'm like floored that a Wheel of Time TV show exists. Give me two this, more episodes. I wanted to. Yep, a, I feel ten, you, a ten episode season one. Give Go me a long take, way. Take take two more episodes and spread this stuff out and give us some moments to sit down and like really chew on the way of the leaf, you know, yep, and yep. all you know, all of that stuff. Um, for whatever it's worth, I've, I've been reading a ton of articles over the past couple of days. I'm seeing an IGN interview of Vernon Sanders, co-head of TV at Amazon Studios, commented about how they're going to have a bigger, bigger budget next season. Whether or not that means like an increase. Oh, the budget count, was the issue. Know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I would like more time. Uh, yes. And certainly like a little bit more money can't hurt, I guess. And maybe it could. What do I no, know? You know no, about this, these things no, better this than is, me. This is, this is important because they can allocate the resources properly and yes. budget it budget it out for potentially additional episodes i don't think that the show looked cheap ever for me uh you know for me the show always looked great um, i really like the look of it through most things it was not until the the battles here at Faldara that i was like oh gosh like i'm not thrilled with like some of the effects it just felt thin josh it wasn't the, even that, like it was that bad but like it felt thin uh it felt like the screen was like not sure. full in terms of like we've become so accustomed to like these epic battles right um and it just felt like thin it felt like a lot of like yeah empty but turf, the, you know but the but the thing that i have come up against more often than i would like is that you get to these epic battles and they leave you wanting to some degree kind of inevitably um especially if you aren't investing you know larger swaths of story and time into them and so those yep. are the things to invest in rather than investing in the shots and you know the choreography and all of this stuff that stuff matters but it matters less to the you know the the amount of story that you are getting that gets you to those battles and i think about you know the criticisms of the final season of game of thrones specifically in a moment like this where it's like don't save the budget for you know a six episode movie when this should still be a season of tv yep. uh, primarily yep. Yep. and so that's that's my feeling. You know, nothing that happened in this final episode in terms of the battle stuff for my tastes personally, what I need out of something like this uh, tells me that the signature problem is you're not pouring enough into making this look good. Yep. Um, that wasn't an issue for me. Uh, you yep. know, the issues are 
give me two more hours worth of storytelling to yep. get me into a place where I am so much more hooked in to land telling Nynaeve we will never be able to be together. Yep. You know, uh, like that's that's the stuff that that I'm, uh, uh, you know, still wanting more of. And I I hope that more budget for season two means two more they episodes. Facilitate that. Two. I think yep, that we I'm need we need a longer season. I'm with you. You know, I've like uh, been like universally pleased with the performers. I think they got a really great cast for this ensemble. I think that the actors have like really left me happy with their performances this season. It's been a lot of great stuff, you know, and I'm like very, very eager for season two to see what they have going on. Um, you know, I, I was a little underwhelmed with episode eight, but overall, like I'm pretty happy with the season. I think I probably landed about like a seven two, you know, whereas uh, maybe like, you know, two weeks ago, I might have been at an eight or a nine because yeah. the hype levels were just that high. Uh, I'm glad to see that a lot of the non-book readers are not that confused by the finale. I'm glad to see that a lot of them, they, they, I'm hearing like a lot of like, meh, it was like a little underwhelming, but it was pretty cool. It seemed like all the right stuff Basically was Basically how I feel. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. like tracking the important stuff. The Horn of Alir is gone. Pod and Fane's a dark friend. Okay, that's good. Don't worry. Loyal's not dead. Uh, who else? I don't know. It doesn't matter if anybody dies. We could bring them back to life now anyway Seems it, yeah but yeah so don't sweat that too much um ultimately it's been like a pleasure talking to you all season about it the book club has been an absolute delight um i really love the wheel of time josh i think it's like such a great story i hope that there are folks out there who are intrigued who maybe uh over the last couple of weeks of holidays got a couple of books as gifts from their friends and family that they want to crack into and can like circle back to revisit those book club podcasts because like it's a really good series. It's like the, the great American fantasy series, you know, and will remain so because Game of Thrones will never be finished. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Drag him. George. All right. So I know go, it's a song of ice and fire. I'm yes, sorry. Don't, yes. don't revoke my nerd. Card, don't please. at him. Uh, but do at him. He's at DM Philly, wherever you can find him on the Internet, including twitch.tv slash DM Philly where Rich hosts the book club podcasts. I think that's going to be Tuesday. Uh, if I'm uh, not looking like, looking yep, like, looking, looking like, like uh, December 28th for that book club podcast recording live. And it'll probably be on the, the, on, on poster recaps a day or so later. Uh, so if you want to catch that early, check that out, twitch.tv slash DM Philly for all of the incredible things that Rich is doing beyond the podcasting. So much TTRPG action, Dungeons and Dragons in space, in the woods, in all of the places. All uh, the places. Josh, I'm going to do a Wheel of Time role-playing game. This is what I've January, heard. Yes. End of January. Uh, keep your ears open for that. Go follow me on Twitter and be ready. I'm not ready to let the Wheel of Time go. I've read the series twice. I've watched uh, the show. Now I need to run the game. Yes. Uh, I have so many questions about it. Uh, I would love to get into this in the wrap-up show because I just mm -hmm. want to know how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll talk about that in a couple of days. I'm at Rand Howard. You can talk to me on the internet as well. You can talk to both Rich and I in the Post Show Recaps patron discord, uh, patreon.com slash post show recaps. If you would like to join us and many other people who love the Wheel of Time uh, are talking about the Wheel of Time and talking about so many other things. Uh, if you want to make some new friends heading into 2022, we are here waiting for you. Consider it patreon.com 
slash post show recaps. If you want more DM Philly, uh, and if you want more epic storytelling, how about you check out the, the brand new uh, Book of Boba Fett podcast here on post show recaps, as Philly is going to be part of the crew that is piloting uh, uh, the podcast coverage here on PSR about the brand new Star Wars show, uh, Boba Fett. Is, Boba Fett, where? Boba Fett here. Boba Fett here on post-show recaps. December 29th is when uh, the Book of Boba Fett drops on Disney Plus, the first episode, and we will have podcast coverage for you. And there's already a preview show as recorded by Philly and Mike Bloom. You hype on Boba Fett, Rich. Uh, I'm super hyped, but I, I uh, have to like do some homework because I thought it was actually the book of Babu Frick. I'm so floored, Josh. I'm very excited to get the opportunity to talk about Star Wars uh, with uh, the wonderful folks who are going to be over there to the family here. Post your recaps. Uh, Star Wars, baby. Uh, I'm psyched yes. for Boba Fett. I'm very excited. Uh, so that's a little fun thing that you can check out right now in your podcast feed. So go and look into that. We will be back in a few days with our wrap-up coverage of the Wheel of Time book club episode coming sooner than that. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.